0: This episode of Landmine Radio is sponsored by Dittman Research. Do you know what the most valuable thing in the world is? High-quality information. Because high-quality information informs much better decision-making. Dittman Research has been providing high-quality information to Alaska's leading businesses, organizations, and campaigns for 50 years. Do you really know what Alaskans think about your company or your issue? How about your clients, your shareholders, or your employees? So stop fumbling around in the dark. Hire Dittman Research and find out what's really going on. DittmanResearch.com Okay, very excited to be joined here by the the new Chief Justice, Daniel Winfrey. How you doing?
1: I'm fine, thanks, Jeff.
0: We're in your office, and i got to say, it's a it's an awesome view.
1: <laughs> well, you still need to come to my Fairbanks office. Um, you, you were saying this used to be a different office, op- like Rabinowitz, and before that, something else? This ch- chamber originally was the conference room for the Alaska Supreme Court, and then um, I think maybe when the court expanded from 3 to 5, they uh, reconfigured it. So there's a new conference room around the corner, and and this was Chief Justice Rabinowitz's chambers for quite some time, and then Dana Fabe uh, for quite some time. And then uh, when she retired, I'm, I moved here, so I only use this when I come down to Anchorage.
0: So you live in you live in Fairbanks? That's correct. And you're from Fairbanks? That's correct. Um, so I want to talk about, about that, but I, I, the first thing I want to say is a few months ago uh, I was on Twitter and I saw a reporter, Nat Herz, he tweeted out a picture of you on
1: a, a, a skidoo or a jet ski. Jet ski, mm-hmm.
0: And, and I think... It Was for when you became chief justice, right? Um, Maybe no.
1: The, well, yes. There was an article that right. they about me becoming chief justice, and that was the, the lead picture.
0: Well, I, the first thing I, I when I saw it, I said, "Wow, that's because normally that you know you don't get to see too much about judges." <laughs> and I said, "That's a really that's a hell of a
1: picture." Well, people just need to know we're just people too. We have ordinary lives. Um, we're out there doing all the things with our families and recreating and doing all those things everybody else does. Um, well, and then we come in here and do this job.
0: Well, so I'm very thankful you have the time to sit down with me and talk a little bit. So before we get into the Supreme Court and, and being the new Chief Justice, I want to kind of go back um, about, you know, grew up in Fairbanks and then went to school, obviously, and came back. So what's kind of some of your background growing
1: up and then, and then why you decided to become a lawyer? Sure. Um, actually, my maternal grandparents, my mother's mom and dad were gold rushers and they went to dawson in 1898 1899 really and lived in dawson until 1905 i think and then they came to fairbanks um i think my grandfather had the gold bug um, never got any that i'm aware of at least it didn't get handed down to me hmm. but um they they moved to fairbanks as that's where that family um stayed and there's it's a good sized family that my mother had 10 brothers and sisters I always
0: kind of joke about the gold rush. It's like not the gold miners. It was more the people selling stuff and services and goods. Those were the ones who made
1: it. The way my grandparents survived was he was a a freighter. So we have pictures of him then at the courthouse in Fairbanks of him and his dog sled team um, in Dawson hauling freight. Um, And then also when he came to Fairbanks, then he had Sourdough Express, which is a local carriage company, still owned by some portions of my family. And there's a great picture of him in the 1920s carrying a moose in the back of a. Of a dump of a flatbed truck with the moose head hanging out with the antlers, um, it's a it's a classic. Where,
0: where did your I guess it was your grandparents? Where did they come up from? Seattle, and then your parents were both from
1: Fairbanks. Uh, my mother was born in Fairbanks. My father came up from the Tacoma area during the Depression, at the end of the Depression, and found work in Fairbanks and and stayed. and um, And so then I had our family. There were four kids. I was the youngest. So
0: what, what made you uh, decide to, so you went to Oregon, I think, first, right?
1: With the, um, I did pretty much whatever my brothers did. I don't know why, but you know how it is when you're, eight, and my brothers were 8 and 10 years older than me. So they went to the University of Oregon, so I went to the University of Oregon. Um, and then later on, they went to law school, so then later on, I went to law school. But I decided not to go to the Oregon. It, it was too rainy, so I moved down to the Bay Area and I went to Berkeley. Yeah, so
0: I saw you graduated in 77 and then law school in 80, 81, so you went to law school pretty quick after undergrad?
1: Uh, there was a year in between, oh, uh, a year in between. I spent, I graduated in 77 and then I didn't start law school till 78, um, what? the next fall. What'd you do in the- I was in Prudhoe Bay working on a Were- warehouse up in uh, Prudhoe.
0: Were you really? Yeah. I did so- that in
1: 1978.
0: So that was, I guess, when oil just started. To f- oil had been flowing at that point, hadn't it, or just about?
1: Well, let me back it up a little bit. In 1975, when I was still going to the University of Oregon, I started hitting the pipeline camps and taking a long time off at school to work. So I spent 75 and 76, a huge portion of those years, in the Delta Camp and the Isabel Pass Camp down towards my neck of the woods, and uh, driving trucks and buses and um, a variety of things. And then in 77, I went up galbraith lake so on the north slope and worked there that was maintenance then and we were putting in uh, storage yard units putting extra supplies in the material yards and uh, i watched the oil walkers walk by in 1977 when the first oil was coming down the pipeline behind the pig and they had walkers walking the entire route they walked right by where we were working so we chatted with them for a while i remember that distinctly
0: so so you were you worked for several sounds like several years on on the pipeline yes was it was good? I mean, you hear all the stories. It was it was good money, right?
1: Oil well, was fabulous money. Uh, it was even more a fabulous experience. Um, and uh, thinking back to my grandparents, you know, racing to Dawson to chase gold must have been a similar kind of thing. All the people who showed up, and then we all end up in these pipeline camps, uh, thrown together—people from all around the world, people from all different kinds of lives. And you get to meet and experience a completely different crowd of people than you're used to. I grew up in Fairbanks when it was maybe a 15,000-person town, 25 maybe in the, in the bowl area, 25 or 30 the most. And I was pretty isolated. And so all of a sudden, I'm living an experience that you might think maybe growing up on the streets of a big city you know, you see, mm-hmm. you see the kind of people that you know—you <laughs> know, liars, cheats, thieves, angels, devils. Um. Well, there was the
0: gambling, and there was there was all the, <laughs> the Teamster stories. I mean, you hear all the stories and read some articles. I mean, Fairbanks seemed to be like the the center of all the kind of craziness. It was, it was
1: quite a place, and it was quite a time. And it left a big impact on me, particularly about learning about people.
0: So, when you were going back to Oregon, and then when you went to law school, did you tell? Your classmates, So oh, I worked on this oil. I mean, I can't imagine there was a lot of them who, would, who, were, who were doing that. Uh,
1: there were not. So I was a kind of a unique specimen, especially at law school. And um, it's an easy way to meet people and talk. They all like to hear about Alaska, and they like to hear about those kinds of experiences. Although it, it did take me a while to get my language back from um, pipeline camp language <laughs> to um, sophisticated <laughs> or at least civil Um Non-pipeline language took me a while to readjust.
0: It's just such a. I, I, have, I have a friend; he's a lawyer, and he, he always says, "You know, I wish more lawyers would do regular work because then sometimes <laughs> they have a better appreciation of, you know, working-class people or, you know, driving a truck or something." Yes. Um, so, so you went to after law school? Did you come back to Alaska right away, or did you?
1: I did. Um, I came uh, here at, to Anchorage and went to work for a national law firm that had an Anchorage office. Worked for them for three years. Uh, then my wife was offered the job of running the hospital in Valdez. So we decided to go. She, she's from Fairbanks as well. So we went to Valdez for two years, um, and she ran the hospital. And after two years, we decided it was time to go back to Fairbanks. So so we did, and then we've been there ever since in 1987.
0: I got to ask about Fairbanks. I've been there many times, and I've spent some, some winter days in there. I mean, there's a cold. Does the, I was there one time at 40 below, and I just don't. Know how people live there. It's so <laughs> it's so cold.
1: Um, people will find it hard to believe, but it's really not cold until it gets below twenty below, and then you can feel the different levels of cold. and And then when it's fifty or sixty or even forty, sometimes you just adjust. But I, what I explained to my law clerks when I'm talking to them about whether they want to come work for us for a year, what do you do in Phoenix in the summer when it's one hundred and ten and one hundred and fifteen degrees in the heat? You you go in from your air conditioned house to your click started car with an air conditioner into your air conditioned office or store. Well in the wintertime in Fairbanks you go from your heated house to your clicked car where it starts out in the parking lot and you go into it and then you go home or you go to the office and it's heated and you just, you know, avoid all those problems. It's it's not much different. Um, it's just so cold, but it's just <laughs> cold. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I've seen about seventy below in Fairmax. That's think, about as cold as I've been.
0: I think my yeah, cold was about forty, and I just, I mean, I can handle ten or you know zero or minus. It's like oh, miserable, but the forty is <laughs> is, is not it's bad. Yep. Um, so when you started practicing law, did you ever think one day you'll be sitting down, you know, as a chief justice?
1: I think it was a fantasy. Always, you know, even when I was in law school, wouldn't it be fa- a fantasy? Wouldn't it be fabulous to go back to Alaska and end up on the Alaska Supreme Court? Da 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 da. But it's something that you just think will never happen. Um, and then, um, uh, I was going to be a, more of a business lawyer. So business lawyers have a hard time getting on uh, a court. But it turned out that I went into litigation, did a lot of litigation, so I I, I became interested probably in about the 90s um, I thought it might be something that I could do and I could be good at and be um, a, co- a contributor were you, were
0: you doing a lot with the Supreme Court with your private practice
1: um, I think I argued a dozen or so cases um, in my time
0: Wow see so is that where you got the bug maybe <laughs>
1: maybe maybe so
0: so you were um, you were appointed by Sarah Palin that's correct um so i i I imagine you had an interview or how how did that i guess how did that go
1: let me explain the process a little bit just for those maybe who don't know or or have forgotten but we have a a merit selection process in alaska and the alaska judicial council is a constitutionally created entity to evaluate um, applicants for judicial positions and then nominate what they what the council believes are the most qualified candidates to the governor and then the governor must pick from that list of nominees. So in 2007, Justice Brenner was retiring, and word went out that there was an opening. And I was um, pushing 55 and knew that that would be really my last chance if I wanted to give it a whirl. Um, and so I was persuaded to put my name in, along with I think about another 19 people, um, and it might have narrowed down to 16 before the process really started oh, so it was, it was a lot of a lot a of people a lot of people for that um so there hadn't been an opening on the court for 10 years the court had been the same for 10 years so it came down um well anyway the, the council does its evaluation they get all kinds of information about everybody um they have their booklets they go through all that stuff and then you come down for an interview with the judicial council and and in my case they nominated four of us um as the most qualified to go to the governor for a appointment and Governor Palin invited all four of us down to Juneau for interviews. Um, I interviewed, it was a middle of November, I think, of 2007. So, so
0: how did the, the, when it got to four, Do they call you and say, hey, you're you're, you're one of the four? Do they announce it
1: publicly or? Both. The Judicial Council uh, calls and said, we're sending your name to the governor. And then there's a press release within a few days. And so then it becomes pretty public. Um, That's like the, one of those
0: like, woo, oh, moments.
1: There yeah. <laughs> it is. The, the governor has 45 days to uh, appoint after the nominations have arrived so um, we all anxiously await for the interview with the governor and um, did you know the other ones yes um, not well um, except, except for one one was another one was from Fairbanks and I knew him but the other two I did not really know particularly well I had met um, at least one of them
0: and and, and just to, to mention you were you weren't a judge before and I, I did some research and of the five justices right now, and there's the new one, Henderson, she was a judge. That's correct. The other four, were, including yourself, were not judges.
1: We all came from private practice directly to the court.
0: Which is kind of interesting because when we look at the U.S. Supreme Court, I think pretty much almost always the person was, is a judge. It's, it's a little different.
1: It's, it's been that way on our court as well. There's been a split over the years. So it's, sometimes there's half. Of course, it's hard to be half of five. But um, <laughs> Two and a half. you know, there's a couple will be trial court judges, or maybe three, and then the number of private practitioners will be smaller. It just it it changes all the time.
0: Okay, so so the four names you have the you, you go to Juno
1: went to Juno, and um, uh, I believe that I interviewed on the last day of the forty five days, if I remember correctly.
0: Was it just her? Was there some staff? No,
1: we had a couple of staff members, and I spent forty five minutes with her. They they were very prepared. They had their booklet of information and questions, and. Um, and we had a nice chat. Um, she was very pleasant. And then uh, they said, "Okay, uh, you know, hang around." Well, of course, we were hanging around because we couldn't get out of Juno till what eight o'clock that night. Mm-hmm. But I went down to a coffee shop, and um, I got a call on my cell phone saying, "Could you come back up and um, answer another question or two? Ooh, and I said, "Well, sure." <laughs> Did you think that was a good good sign or bad sign? <laughs> well, I didn't know. <laughs> but
0: just to be clear, this was pre kind of mccain uh campaign we are talking november of 2007 yeah so she she hadn't been the national um, stage yet
1: so uh, my wife and i walked up to the um to the uh, legislative building and of course they're on the well you know which which floor is the governor on the third Third floor floor. So, so i went up to the third floor and and they had me wait a little bit, and then they came in, and the question was, when can you start? So that was, no uh, way. <laughs> I, uh, I was floored, and I, it was just a, it was a very nicely done thing. I really appreciated so you, it. So you thought maybe
0: it could have been like <laughs> some very profound, <laughs> fundamental issue. What do you, how are you, you know, but it's, when can you start?
1: That's right, so it was, um, it was very pleasant. And then she had a, a, a press conference there, and all of my um, Fairbanks legislators were able to come up. Uh, for the press conference, and uh, and I really appreciated that.
0: So when they asked you when you could start with the press conference, was it the next day or pretty pretty, pretty soon, soon after?
1: Uh, what, that I started? The press conference. Uh, no, th- uh, within an hour.
0: Oh, wow. So it was, like, quick. Yes. So, so talk about the mechanics. You had a private practice. What was your, um, I guess, how much time did you need
1: to wrap all that up? Um, I think I was appointed, like, the middle of November. I started on January 4th. So it took me that long to clear the decks. Other private practitioners might need longer time, but I had already decided to wind down and so I had gotten rid of a lot of my uh-huh. practice and was working with a local nonprofit um, in Fairbanks most of my time.
0: So you you weren't were you by yourself or did you have partners or was it a firm? Um, I did
1: all different things throughout the years. Sometimes I was with a large group, sometimes I was with another person, sometimes four or five, sometimes just by myself. Uh-huh.
0: So what was it? What what was it like going from that to all of a sudden you're one of five members of the Supreme Court?
1: It was um, uh, a life changing, in a lot of ways. And you know you hear that phrase about how um, you're up in the sky looking down. (laughs) That's how I felt certainly the day I was appointed, and even the first few times coming into the court and working with my colleagues. Um, It was um, it was fabulous.
0: So so you were we were saying before there used to be three. Three in the Constitution, right? Yes. But but you they, they made it five at some point?
1: The Constitution allows the legislature to increase the number if necessary and to add the Court of Appeals, for example. They could add additional courts because the Court of Appeals is not in the Constitution or district courts. Mm-hmm. Only the Supreme Court and the Superior Courts are in the Constitution. So um, um, caseloads got really big and the court had to expand from three to five. Mm-hmm. And then in about in the 1970s, Um, think pipeline and um, collateral consequences of pipeline the criminal docket got huge (laughs) and it was overwhelming the court and the court had to either go to seven or create an an intermediate court of appeals to handle the criminal cases and the legislature and the court agreed um, on the intermediate court of appeals and that's why we have a now a four person but originally a three person court of appeals. That handles all direct appeals of criminal matters Mm -hmm. those do not come to us first now
0: so so i think and this is something that i've paid more attention to over the last several years but when you hear supreme court you know a lot of us think like u.s supreme court and they pick their cases (laughs) and a lot of them are really big kind of big controversial or um kind of national cases but the the state supreme court um and i watch it sometimes a lot of it's really family or divorce or, or things that aren't really the high-profile things. Exactly. It's, it seems like a lot of it. I mean, we talk about how much you deal with that's that kind of stuff and then how much of it is the
1: maybe the higher-profile ones. Right. Um, first, with the US Supreme Court, you know they are a complete, almost complete, there's a small exception to the rule. Um, you have to ask them to take a case and they have to have, what, four or five votes to decide to take a case. They're only looking for cases that maybe there's a split among circuits oh. um, or some other reason why they might want to take a case. That, we don't have that luxury. Um, every civil case in Alaska, people have a right of automatic appeal to the Alaska Supreme Court. We don't get to say no. We don't get to say, well, we don't really want to take that case. Um, everybody has the automatic right of appeal to our court on the civil side. So every family law case. Child in need of aid, which child term, you know, parental right terminations cases, ordinary contract cases, tort cases, and then, of course, you know, election cases, the things of bigger um, notoriety, if not necessarily importance um, that you read. On the criminal side, because we have the intermediate court of appeals that has the direct appeals, then people can ask us to take a case from them saying, gee, the court of appeals got this wrong, you really need to, to take this over and correct it. We'll get hundred and twenty five petitions a year say, and uh, we might grant in a big year we would grant five to ten so mm-hmm. we don't take a lot of criminal cases we have the luxury of not taking uh, we we exercise our discretion on which ones to take so, so what what go um when do you decide I mean some stuff
0: obviously it's timely like you mentioned the election case sometimes it's you know right up against the next election uh, but other cases you know obviously can take many many months or a year is it does the court or the judge look at this case, okay, well, obviously there's a very specific time frame in mind, we have to do something faster, opposed to other things where sometimes it takes takes longer?
1: Yes, and we do it automatically in some instances. For example, any case that involves child custody is automatically an expedited case. Mm-hmm. Um, parental rights terminations, automatically expedited case. If we decide to grant a petition uh, for hearing from a court of appeals decision, that's usually an expedited case. Um, there, maybe somebody's waiting in jail and they want, you know, a ruling before they serve out their sentence. So we expedite those kinds of cases. When we get the election cases, they're almost always expedited uh, because we know the date. Um, we, we recognize the problem that the parties present that it needs to have something done in a hurry. And so we will ad hoc figure out, you know, what our deadlines would be if they need a decision by so-and-so date, then how soon do we have to have their briefs in? Mm-hmm. How long will it take us to get our internal memos done about the case and then have the oral argument and then give a decision? So, so how does it work? you sounds like you're working a lot. Uh, if you want to go on
0: vacation, I mean, I know the <laughs> Supreme Court has, they're in session, they're not in session. Is it similar with the with Alaska Supreme Court, or how does that work?
1: Um, not really, we're, we're in session all the time. We don't hold oral arguments in July. That's the only month we don't hold oral arguments. But we do hold it open for election cases, uh, redis- uh, redistricting some, cases. Oh, um, that's, that's coming up, That's yeah. coming up, so maybe we'll get redistricting again. We saw it in 2010 or 11 or whenever that was. Um, so we hold time open just in case but we don't hold oral arguments, but we still meet and confer on cases without oral argument. Maybe people don't understand that um, not every case is um, orally argued so that you can mm-hmm. watch it, for example, on, on, the, on the TV. Um, many cases are just submitted on the briefs without a request for oral argument. And so we confer on those in the same way that we would confer on an oral argument case, just without the oral argument. We'll go into the conference room with our list of cases and, you know, take our normal procedure for deciding cases and do that.
0: That's one, one thing I wanted to ask you. Uh, I joked with Nancy Mead from the court system. I see her in Juneau a lot. Uh, I kind of think in the lens of politics. I'm in Juno and I do politics, and a lot of committees have five people on the committee. So in my mind, you need three votes. So I used to think that, okay, there's five justices. Three get together. They, they make a deal. <laughs> okay, the next case, I'll give you the vote. Um, but that's not how it works. That's not it? how it works. How does, how does it work when the okay. case is going,
1: um, going on? Let me, let me take it back even a little bit farther into the process. So these cases come in. People have filed their notice of appeal. There's a briefing schedule. The briefs are finally done. And that's when it gets assigned to a justice. And it's completely random in this way. There are six categories of cases, and I get every fifth case. I mean, that's just how, to, in this category, I get every fifth case in that category, I get every fifth case. So there's no, for example, the chief justice does not say, aha, I, I would really like to have this case, or mm-hmm. I want this case well, to go to so-and-so. When you say
0: get, you mean you're the kind of lead, lead, lead no, person? No, I mean,
1: to... I wouldn't be assigned. So, well, yes, that I see what you mean. So when it's assigned to me, that means it's my chamber's case to prepare and to present to my colleagues. Oh, okay. So my law clerks will work up Um, a memo, and that memo goes to everybody on my court and says what the law clerk thinks are, are the issues about this case, what the facts are, what the legal issues are, what our standards of review are, and how they recommend that the case ought to come out. And then we use that as our preparation tool along with all the briefing. And then we never speak to one another about the case until we show up in the conference room. That's the first time we will have had any discussion about the case, And thereafter, we never speak with each other unless all of us are there, or we do it by memo so it shows up on the printer at the same time. The reason for that is to avoid exactly what you were talking about. It's such a
0: foreign, I mean, just being on the politics side, that's just so different. (laughs) And I think a lot of people in the legislature, when they look at, they, they, they apply that mindset to other things in life, in this case, you know the judicial branch.
1: We do all of our discussion when all of us are together, so that we hear everybody's thoughts and everybody's points of view, and um, come up with the decision that we think is best. You're correct on the point though that it takes three votes. So um, maybe there's a disagreement about how this case should come out. If there are three people that you know have have one answer, then that's the answer. The other two will write a dissent or a concurring opinion or whatever, and and. If the person who was assigned the case to begin with is in that three-person majority, then it's their opinion to write. Uh If they're not, then it's going to be reassigned to somebody in that group of three. Uh, So there's there's rules. There are are some rules. So, for example, if I made a recommendation and nobody agreed with me and it was four to one against me, whoever was the senior justice in that group of four would reassign the case to one of those four, and then they would write the opinion, and I'd end up writing it assent.
0: What's what's kind of the, the breakdown? I mean, a, a, a lot of them seem to be 5, 0, or 4, 1.
1: I would say well over 90% of the time we are unanimous.
0: And that's just based on the law, the law. The law is pretty pretty clear usually.
1: Yes. And and there are things that we can do to accommodate that too. If we there are some issues that we don't have to reach that might be a little bit more divisive, um, then we'll avoid those issues as long as we're resolving the case.
0: Uh, so I want to ask you, you just became the chief justice, I guess, July 1. So very recently. Um, how, how does a chief justice get selected?
1: It's by, um, a, by consensus in our conference room. When the time for the chief justice to – we rotate every three years. Histori- when the court started, it was a full-time position. Um, the legisl- There was a constitutional change to make it a rotating position. So it rotates amongst the five. First of all, you have to be interested uh, in doing it. Not everybody has been uh, over the years. And then um, they, we kind of look at seniority. You've been around a while, and you've expressed an interest. So there's almost always a consensus about, okay, this is so-and-so's turn. Um, it's rarely um, divisive. Um, it's pretty straightforward. It's not so, one of
0: those things where three votes again. <laughs> well, it is,
1: uh, technically, I suppose it is three votes, but it it's rarely it comes down to that.
0: So, so what, what, what um, as Chief Justice, what, I guess, what? powers do you have? That's
1: (laughs) That's a great question, um, Jeff, really. And I I want people to understand what the chief justice is not. Um, You know, the best analogy is that the court system is like a corporation and there's a board of directors and that's the Alaska Supreme Court. So we have a five person board of directors. I'm just one of five. But while I'm chief justice, that means I'm the chairman of the board. I run the meetings. Um, I, I, I work on The relationship between the court and our operating officers, like Stacy Mars, is our administrative director, and she has a whole staff of professionals in in various areas, just like a corporation has a president and then has officers and has all the people who work. That's the court system. So I'm the liaison between our court and the staff, um, the 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 executive officers of the staff. Um, I am not king. I am not omniscient. I don't know everything that's going on at every level of every court in all 74 judges and 40 locations. Um, that's impossible. Um, we deal with the bigger ticket items of policies and trying to figure out the direction of the court, what needs to be done. And then we delegate that to our fabulous professional staff. Um, you know Nancy. Um, that's that's a big part sure, of it. Everyone I mean, Those dancing
0: dogs.
1: (laughs) I mean, we just have wonderful people working for us, and we've been very fortunate over the years. So uh, um, I am not king. I am not emperor. I don't tell my colleagues what to do. I ask them what we should do, and um, and I have no power over them. Um, I'm not their boss. I am just the chairman of the board who runs the meetings. We are five individual people who have our own views. on things um and we talk them through and we come to a consensus all the time
0: so i guess the the boss ultimately it's the the people for retention is that
1: that's that's a good way of looking at it mm-hmm.
0: um also you you now will give the state of the judiciary yes right? Feb-
1: february of 22 2022 i'll be there for my first state of the judiciary address
0: i've seen several of them the last i've been in june of the last three years so they're they're um i like it it's it's a One of the reasons I've I've talked to Nancy, I've tried to get, you know, more um, people like you, the chief justice and judges, because as somebody who follows the the politics pretty close in Juneau, um, I I don't know as much about the judges. And it's it's nice to see them. And in that case, you see somebody really in front of everybody, given the given the speech. And even I think Justice Bolger
1: took some questions last time. Well, I don't know if I'll do that. <laughs> <laughs> I think it took a few. I think you took a few. <laughs> I'll limit it to the Fairbanks legislators. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, so I want to ask about uh, COVID, which has mm. created a lot of, all kinds of problems in society, but maybe especially, you know, uh, for the courts.
1: It is. It's a, it's a very difficult problem. You know, we're here for a reason. We are here to um, provide the necessary services and and adjudications for people's constitutional rights, whether it's in the criminal arena um, or the civil arena, Um, and to to not have our doors open for trials is um, very hard for us. Um, We don't like that at all. On the other hand, we have an obligation to protect our staff. We have an obligation to protect the litigants. We have an obligation to protect witnesses who have to come in lawyers who have to come in. Not everybody gets, uh, comes in here willingly. I mean, some people are subpoenaed to come in. We, we select grand jurors to come in, um, jurors to come in. So we have an obligation to do the best we can to protect everybody that comes into our courtrooms. So we're, it's a never-ending attempt to balance those kinds of um, considerations. When COVID numbers go down, you know, we can start doing more, and then all of a sudden, COVID numbers start uh-huh. going back up. We, we have to pull back, um, and so right now, jury trials are 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 suspended in a good number of places. But what people may not understand is that that is a very small part of our business. Ninety-seven um, percent of trials settle without going to trial. Our cases settle without going to trial. So it's a very small percentage of cases that actually end up going to trial. We have a big backlog, but I can assure you that most of those will settle um, as trial dates finally get close because that's the way it always happens. Otherwise, we've been at it as if nothing had changed. Judges are doing things differently. We're doing things remotely. We're um, uh, doing a lot uh, uh, of um, bench trials things that are happening so cases are still being resolved business is still being done for example us Uh, we had to change the way we did our business in the supreme court Um, march 2020 rolled around we quit traveling you know normally i would come to Anchorage three times a month for cases we did it all by zoom Um,
0: everybody's gotten pretty good at zoom everybody's
1: gotten good at zoom we started having oral arguments by zoom um about that time and got that set up you know those are um satisfactory substitutes for a lot of the things they're not great um you you like to be in the room Mm -hmm. Um, and i know that people who argue in front of us like to be in the rooms they can see us and our reactions to things but but it's a good substitute for a pandemic and it will change the way we do business in a lot of ways over the next however many decades
0: i was going to ask that because i think one of the uh consequences of, of the COVID and of the zoom and all this stuff is people realize I can work from home and maybe they don't want to go back to working in the office. But a lot of people like myself, I like to be around people and, you know, especially if it's a legislature or a business meeting, you know, it's much like you said, when you see somebody, when you're in the room, you can, and I, I would imagine in, in law, that's even more um, pronounced. So I guess, do you, do you see things when things are totally back to normal, going back to how they were, or do you, do you think some of these technologies might, might be, play a role in the future. I, the I
1: think a lot of these technologies will play a significant role in the future in the way that we do business as a court system. And it could be as, as, as I don't want to use the word low-level, um, meetings. You know, we don't have to fly people in to have meetings all the time. The, the, the Zoom stuff and the other kinds of conference technology that we have now is so much better than it was 15 years ago when it was awful. Mm -hmm. Um, And nobody wanted to do stuff conference-wise, video conference, because it was just unsatisfactory. That's not true anymore. We we can have impromptu, quick meetings with lots of people um, in a hurry um, by Zoom. So if something pops up, we we can do a lot of things, and it'll save a lot of money in the long run.
0: I have a book club I started about not quite a year ago, and we meet on Zoom. And that's maybe one of the things I might keep because... We have people from all over the country. Sometimes people travel. We've had one, one of our members was in, I think, Costa Rica. So that's one example of something you can do that makes maybe a little more
1: sense. Right. Um, there are things, you know, something along those I just last week, at, at a moment's notice, I was asked to participate in a Zoom conference with all the other Supreme Court justice, Chief Justices across the country and with Attorney General Merrick Garland and his Deputy Attorney General, uh, Vanita Gupta. Um, and they all wanted to talk about the pandemic and what states were doing about eviction, the possible eviction crisis oh. when these moratoriums go by. That would never have happened before. And and at a moment's notice, 43 state Supreme Court chief justices are all together on a, on a TV screen, along with the attorney general of the United States having a meeting. Uh, the possibilities are endless. That
0: would be a meeting I'd love the Zoom link. Too. <laughs> <laughs> it was very interesting. Um, last thing I wanted to ask you about, and, and I'm going to be careful. I don't want to ask about the, the politics, but um, it, it seems to me in the last – I'm 36, and since I was maybe in my 20s, the the, the kind of the politi- politicizing of the court um, more nationally, but also um, kind of the judicial, judicial branch in general has – would you agree it's kind of gone up?
1: It's, it's – I, I th- I would not disagree with that.
0: Um, So, so I guess I'd like to ask, kind of, when it's politic, politicians. I mean, they're very, they talk. That's what they do. Um, How how does that play a role in kind of your? Because I'm sure you hear that stuff and see that stuff, um, you know, especially on on the Alaska level.
1: Um, Well, uh, first and foremost, it plays absolutely no role in the way we decide a case. Uh, We could care less what people say. Um, outside the room when we're in there saying these are the facts this is the law this is the answer um, and this is what we're going to go with um, we we recognize that there's going to be at least half the people unhappy with us sometimes both sides are unhappy with us but and, and maybe that's when we know we really got it right is when every everybody's a, Henry, Clay, Henry, <laughs> Henry Clay said that so um, uh, we we understand it but you know people it, it's kind of been my sense that, that people, um, they want a result. If the result is what they want, we've done a good job. If the result is not what they want, we're corrupt, uh, we're, we're terrible, we're all these things. Um, and it could be the exact same people thinking the next exact opposite thing is the next time we have a, de- a decision of some kind. They don't care about what the law really is. They want a result. Uh-huh. Um, and, and I think that's a lot of the chatter. Um, if, if, if people would spend a little bit more time understanding the underlying concepts, the legal concepts, and why we have to come to the conclusion we've come to, um, it might be a, a more civil um, con- uh, discourse, but I doubt it.
0: I kind of joke in that same vein, I, I joke that some days people love me, and the next days they, they hate me, the same person. But then a week later, they, oh, my God, I love what you wrote. You know? <laughs>
1: it's, it's very similar. Yeah. Um, but, but, but I, you know, I think we recognize that it's out there. It, it does not. Um, and, and I know Nancy comes back and talks to us lots of times about her conversation with legislators who all assume that we're anxiously awaiting, you know, their reaction to something. And we're saying, what? what are they talking about we we just don't pay any attention to what's going on on a day-to-day basis in the legislature or even in the executive branch you know unless something pops up that we have to deal with
0: um so i guess last thing is uh what are uh what are some things folks don't know about you maybe what are your hobbies obviously you you jet ski
1: (laughs) i do that i'm you know i just a kid that grew up in fairbanks um I have a place at the at Birch Lake, about an hour out of town, and I've had my family there for I don't know. I grew up on Harding Lake as a kid, and I got a place at Birch Lake. So in the winter, I'm snow machining; in the summer, I'm jet skiing. And after those things, I'm sitting in the jacuzzi <laughs> trying to <laughs> trying to untie all my muscles that I all got all wrapped up doing all those things. The older I get,
0: you, you could be with that statement. You could be any Alaskan.
1: <laughs> I am. I'm just one of those and. Um, I've tried to make the point, and I'll, I'll make it on this one if you don't mind me taking an extra minute or two. Oh, no, take but, all the time um, you want. Um, I'm speaking to all the, all the young people out there. Um, you know, I'm just a kid that grew up in Fairbanks. There are kids growing up in every village, in every city, in this state. And I'm just an ordinary kid. And you guys are just ordinary kids. You can do this. Um, you can follow this path. You'd be surprised at what you would think are just ordinary people can end up doing some extraordinary things. And, and it's so fun to be in a position to make important decisions for the state of Alaska. And so I, I work really, really hard um, to do that. And all those kids out there, you can do the same thing. So don't, don't forget cool. there are opportunities um, to make things happen for Alaska and, and for you. So... Don't give up out there, kids. Do I, stuff.
0: I think Alaska, I've always joked, I moved here in 2004 when I was 19. I didn't know anybody. And it's uh, one of the places where if you really work hard, you can, I mean, I'm sitting down talking to you. I would have, <laughs> if somebody when I was 19 or 20 told me that, I probably wouldn't even have known what to say.
1: Yeah. Life has um, mysterious ways of going about. And um, every one of those kids out there can do it. I'm the first Alaskan-born Chief Justice of the Alaska Supreme Court, which is, you know. Oh, really? It's kind of an odd thing to say. Um And I was born in the territory of Alaska, so we still have yet to have somebody born in the state of Alaska be a chief justice on this court. But I'm hopeful that in— Maybe somebody
0: listening. Somebody listening.
1: um, Maybe our court will have a lot more people that were born in Alaska, and the chief justice, too. I'm only the third uh, Alaskan-born justice on the Alaska Supreme Court.
0: Maybe that's another— podcast for another time is why don't we have a law school here <laughs> <of? laughs>
1: well i can tell you the answer to that it's it's called money <laughs> Pop, maybe population too but not enough population so
0: well mr chief justice uh, winfrey i really appreciate you taking the time it's been a great conversation and um, look forward. Maybe I'll see you sometime on the on the jet ski.
1: <laughs> well, probably I'll see you in Juneau before I see you on the jet ski. Uh, that's probably right. You're probably right about that. <laughs> All right. I'll see well, you in Juneau in February. I'll be there. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Um,
0: yeah, folks, if you have an idea for a podcast or want to do a podcast, get a hold of me and stay tuned for the next one. Landline.